Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? This morning's reading is from Matthew 6, verse 1 through 6, and verses 16 through 18. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Paige. Good morning. Uh, my name is Ashley Nepper, and I serve as the associate pastor here at Grace Community. Uh, it is not the typical practice for me uh, to speak uh, in this capacity on Sunday mornings, uh, but Nick has given up the pulpit for two weeks in a row. Um, this is big. In our 16 months here at Grace Community, uh, which has flown by, and we have loved just about every minute of it, uh, Nick has only given up the pulpit a handful of times. So uh, I'm speaking this week, and next week my dad, Tom Jacobs, will be with us. Uh, it'll be really good. You'll definitely want to be here for it. Um, but so two weeks in a row, Nick is not speaking. So you can pray for me as Nick has many words that need to get out in a week, as evidenced by uh, how lengthy the announcements were this morning. Uh, <laughs> and I am the likely target of all of those words in the next couple weeks. So you can remember me. Uh, we are about halfway through our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we've been here uh, for all of 2018 so far, and I've been enjoying it. I hope you have been too. Uh, this week, I am uh, skipping ahead a little bit. Last week, Nick talked about Matthew chapter 5, and I am talking about uh, the sections kind of surrounding the Lord's Prayer in uh, Matthew chapter 6. Next week, uh, we're giving my dad free reign to talk about whatever he wants to talk about, so uh, it'll be good, I promise. Uh, but then Nick will skip back and, and relook at uh, Matthew, the end of Matthew chapter 5. So hopefully you won't get too confused by it, um, but it'll be, it'll be good. Um, last week, Nick introduced the idea that throughout the Sermon on the Mount, there's a pattern that we uh, see Jesus doing here. Um, he points out the traditional righteousness of the time, and then he exposes how that righteousness uh, has gotten a little bit, a bit warped, uh, and he uncovers a vicious cycle that's uh, kind of what God was trying to address with that traditional righteousness. And then he uh, shares some uh, 
transforming actions, we're calling them. If you weren't here last week, uh, you'll want to go back and make sure you listen to that message. You can find all of our messages at uh, cfgrace.community. Uh, we've got some good media on there for you. Uh, you can also subscribe to the podcast if you're a podcast person uh, and you're not able to be here. It's a good way to keep up with what's going on. But uh, in the passage we're looking at today, we see the same pattern again. Uh, the traditional righteousness of the time is that people were, they knew that they were supposed to give to the poor, uh, they were supposed to pray, they were supposed to fast, and all of these are good things. They're all outlined clearly throughout the Old Testament, um, and even in Jesus' ministry up to this point, even just earlier, one chapter earlier in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus goes into the wilderness and he prays and fasts. Then he helps some needy people by healing them. Uh, and he even does this in front of people. So clearly, these are good things and things that we should be doing. However, Jesus points out that people are seeking status and acclaim for these actions, uh, for their good acts. They were giving with fanfare. They were standing on the street corner, praying out loud so everybody could hear them. They were making themselves look sick while they were fasting. Uh, they were putting ashes on themselves. I think they were probably the original, uh, they were the original uh, contouring makeup artists, if you know what that is. <laughs> uh, so those things are not good. Doing them and trying to make yourself look better, uh, doing your good deeds are not, it's not a good thing to do. Did anybody watch the Super Bowl last weekend? I know for a few of you it may have been too painful to watch two teams play in the Viking Stadium. Uh, but I'm a big football fan. We're big football fans, fans in our family. Um, I'm also a big, I like marketing a lot. So this year, commercials, uh, I really like to watch the commercials. Uh, this year, a 30-second TV spot cost about five and a half million dollars, which I think is crazy. Uh, I could make five and a half million dollars last a lot longer than 30 seconds. So if anybody wants to entrust me with five and a half million dollars, I can help you out. I'm not sure if you saw uh, this one, but Budweiser did an ad um, that followed one of their employees to work on a day that they had shut down beer production to can water for Hurricane Harvey victims. It didn't make me want to buy Budweiser, per se, uh, but it did give me warm fuzzies to see uh, an American company stepping up to help people in need. But then I realized that Budweiser just spent well over $5 million, it was a 60-second spot, so well over $5 million, to brag about something that they did that cost the company about $100,000. And I realized that the impulse to give to the needy and then broadcast it is alive and well. When you start to think about it, you can see it everywhere. Uh, I'm not sure if you've been on social media, but uh, people really like to make themselves look good on social media. It's kind of a big deal. There are entire YouTube channels devoted to uh, making yourself look good in a selfie. Uh, I'm not totally sure what uh, taking a good selfie, that that necessarily correlates to doing acts of righteousness, uh, but it definitely reflects our impulse to try to make ourselves look good. My favorite brand of selfie is the one that is posted as a sort of under the guise of 
um, being tired or um, being at home for a snow day um, and they have on a full face of makeup and like perfectly coiffed hair. Um, I have a photo for you that might be a little bit closer to reality. That's what a tired selfie looks like. It might be shocking to you, but I have no makeup on in that picture. Um, that's, that's reality. So uh, we try to make ourselves look like, even though we're tired and at home for the day, um, we're perfect, and that's what we look like all the time. So if you want to stop by, I'm always perfectly dressed. Uh, we all have the desire to be seen and have the approval of others. I think it's pretty innate, and I think we're born with that desire to be known and accepted. Some of us more so than others. I'm a firstborn. Firstborns are kind of well-known for liking approval. Uh, Nick is also a firstborn, and we have a firstborn in our house, so we are um, very familiar with that need uh, for approval. I will say that having another child who is not a firstborn, sometimes um, appreciating approval makes you easier to parent. Not necessarily better, just easier. We love both of our children. Uh, in some ways, this need for approval is good. It is good. Uh, if we didn't want to have people like us, none of us would have any friends. Uh, nobody would ever get asked out on a second date. Can you imagine if you showed up for a first date truly yourself, if you showed up in your pajamas and acted like you were still on your couch, chewed with your mouth open, didn't brush your teeth? I don't think you would probably get asked out on a second date, and none of us would be married, so it wouldn't be good. Uh, but we do. We all have this need for approval. In fact, I think we each have two desires to be uh, fully accepted and deeply known. And I have a chart uh, to detail this. Nick had a chart last week, and I was impressed by it, so I have a chart this week. Uh, when you are not known and not accepted, when you're in this kind of bottom quadrant, um, that is isolation. This is one of the most difficult uh, circumstances you can be in as a human being. Even the most introverted of us want to have people know and accept us. If you've ever moved to a new town by yourself, uh, you know that isolated feeling. Uh, isolation doesn't feel good. After I graduated from college, I don't want to freak anybody out, college students, but um, Sometimes the time after you graduate from college is really tough. It was particularly difficult for me. Um, I had just been dumped, which is another not great feeling that we'll talk about in a second. Uh, but uh, I lost a place to live. I had a plan to move in with a roommate, and she had to go home. And I ended up in this really cold garage that had been like converted into another bedroom, but it still had a concrete floor and just like had sheetrock. Uh, it was really cold and uh, my roommate worked nights and so I never saw her, so I was like pretty much alone. It was not a great, it wasn't a great feeling. When you are accepted but not known, when you're in the upper quadrant, uh, that is illusion. The prime example of this is somebody who's worked really hard to make themselves look perfect on social media. I'm not sure if you've ever uh, run, run into somebody. Uh, this happens a lot of times, like when you're home for Christmas. Um, 
you've ever run into somebody that you haven't seen in a while, but you've kept up with them on social media and they look really great on social media. And then when you see them in real life, you realize that they are like 50 pounds different than what you have seen on social media. Uh, it can happen in a lot of ways. Uh, we can think somebody is presenting as totally together and with it, like they have all their stuff in a row, um, but really they are um, dealing with addiction or drowning in debt, just trying to make it look like they have things together. Uh, illusion is not a great place to be either. If we are known but not accepted, this is rejection. Uh, anybody who's been dumped, you know this feeling well. Uh, to have somebody say, I totally get who you are, totally get it, I'm just not into it. Uh, that is not a fun feeling. Uh, it can happen in a variety of relationships. Sometimes um, friends can distance themselves. You can, um, there can be some distance there. Sometimes uh, we're estranged from our parents, the people who are supposed to love us unconditionally. Uh, if they don't, that's really painful. It can happen with other family members. It's not, not a fun feeling. When we are fully accepted and deeply known, this is love. This is the best quadrant. Uh, hopefully, this is your relationship with your spouse or a good friend or your family members. Uh, they see your best attributes and also your not so best attributes, uh, and they still, uh, they love you. They accept you. They uh, welcome you. Uh, this is what we're offered in this passage. Jesus identifies the vicious cycle of people pleasing, us wanting to make everybody look like we have, make it look like we have everything together. And he says there's, there's another way. He invites us into an intimacy with God where God sees what we do and knows the condition of our hearts. And he doesn't only accept us, he rewards us. We're all seeking approval. It's just a question of uh, where we're getting that approval from. I do think it's interesting that in this passage, God, uh, Jesus refers to God as Father. Throughout the passage, he says, he makes God personal. He says, uh, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He doesn't even say my Father, because that's accurate. He says your Father. Uh, it's a term of intimacy, I think. Um, when we seek the approval not of those around us, but the approval of God, it's a really intimate act. It's not a performance for the crowd. It's an act of private devotion to our Father. So here we've got the traditional righteousness. You should give to the poor. You should pray. You should fast. We've got the vicious cycle, giving in, um, you know, giving to the fanfare, uh, praying on the street corners, fasting in a way that draws attention to ourselves. And I see a couple of transforming actions here. The first one is uh, secrecy. And secrecy is not something that we are super fond of. Um, it's not a spiritual di discipline that American Christians are uh, really in the habit of practicing. We've been taught that we should let people know that we go to church or that we pray. Uh, and it's not necessarily bad to let people know that. It's just, um, it can be a spiritual discipline to, um, to practice doing things secretly. 
In his book, uh, Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard says, the discipline of secrecy will help us break the grip of human opinion over our souls and our actions. A discipline is an activity in our power that we do to enable us to do what we cannot do by direct effort. Jesus is here leading us into the discipline of secrecy. We, from time to time, practice doing things approved of in our religious circles, giving, praying, fasting, attending services of the church, and so on, but in such a way that no one knows. Thus, our motivation and reward for doing these things cannot come from human beings. We are liberated from slavery to eyes, and then it does not matter whether people know or not. We learn to live constantly in this way. And I want to point out here that secrecy isn't law. Jesus isn't saying um, only pray in your prayer closet when nobody can hear you. Um, He's not saying, you know, uh, because you gave in the offering at church and somebody saw you put something in the offering, um, you know, God isn't going to give you a gold star. Uh, Secrecy isn't a law here. It's a discipline. Um, You know, from time to time, doing things secretly so that no one knows and nobody can give us... um, accolades for it. Uh, That practice can be really transformative for our hearts so that we can uh, check the motivation of our actions, why we're doing good things. For some of us, this might mean giving an anonymous gift to somebody. It might mean sending an unsigned note of encouragement this week. It might mean uh, taking your snowblower down the street to your neighbor's house, who is kind of a jerk, and uh, taking care of their snowy sidewalk. It might mean staying off social media for a while. It might mean keeping your mouth shut about something you've done. Um, Here is a tip, though. Valentine's Day is coming up, and if you want to write your spouse a sweet note, you should sign that one. Otherwise, it's creepy. (laughs) So uh, think about uh, something maybe that you might want to do secretly this week. Uh, Another transforming action I see is that of intimacy. We talk a lot about living in community here. One of our values as a team, our staff team, is that if it doesn't matter with the people you see every day, it doesn't matter. Uh, So that's one of our our core, core values. We love community so much that we put it in the name of our church. When we live in Christian community, We can experience that quadrant of being fully known and fully accepted, but it's not easy. It requires a little bit of risk. Um, I may, I I graduated from a school called Evangel University. Some of you might be familiar with it. It's a Christian liberal arts university in Springfield, Missouri. They have a class that's required of all freshmen, and it's called Essential Christianity. And in that class, uh, there's a book that's required reading called Celebration of Discipline. So um, I think it's very comical that they're asking a bunch of 18-year-olds who are living on their own for the first time to celebrate discipline. (laughs) But it is kind of perfect. My brother actually taught that class adjunct this week. So I I texted him to see if they were still using that text. And they they are. Um, Our impulse uh, is not to... uh, ask 18-year-olds to read a book about celebrating discipline. Uh, but Richard Foster wrote the book, and he, uh, he talks about the discipline of confession. And for us as evangelicals, we get a little bit nervous about confession. Um, we think, we tend to think of it as more of a high church tradition that we'd like go and, you know, go into a box and like tell a priest all of the naughty things that we've done. 
Uh, but he lumps that discipline of confession in with corporate disciplines, which is also weird. Uh, we think of it as something, you know, when we confess our sins, we confess to God. We don't confess them to another person. Uh, but here's what Richard Foster says about confession. Confession is a dis difficult discipline for us because we all too often view the believing community as a fellowship of saints before we see it as a fellowship of sinners. We feel that everyone else has advanced so far into holiness that we are isolated and alone in our sin. We cannot bear to reveal our failures and shortcomings to others. We imagine that we are the only ones who have not stepped onto the high road to heaven. Therefore, we hide ourselves from one another and live in veiled lies and hypocrisy. But if we know that the people of God are first a fellowship of sinners, we are freed to hear the unconditional call of God's love and to confess our needs openly before our brothers and sisters. We know we are not alone in our sin. The fear and pride that cling to us like barnacles cling to others also. We are sinners together. In acts of mutual confession, we release the power that heals. Our humanity is no longer denied, but transformed. And as the band comes, um, I just want to highlight a couple more things. Uh, for some of us, it's time to take the persona off that we've been trying uh, so hard to, to cultivate and find a group of like-minded believers who will bear witness with our true selves. This might mean joining a small group or signing up for a book study that meets in your pastor's home. Uh, uh, there's still time to join Enrich, our marriage small groups. I promise you that you will uh, get to enjoy some community in those. It might just mean asking somebody out for coffee or setting aside time to talk. It can be a little scary to put ourselves out there like that, but it's, it's good. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount and throughout his ministry, Jesus consistently says, you think, you th you think that things are this way, but really... They're actually the exact opposite. Our impulse and kind of what's socially acceptable for us uh, is to reflect a public persona that highlights all the good things about us, but really, um, and, and keeps the not great things about ourselves private, but Jesus is calling us to keep some of our good deeds secret and bear our true, authentic selves uh, and sometimes disappointing selves uh, to our brothers and sisters in community. In the kingdom of God, our good deeds are private and our shortcomings are known. We do good things seeking primarily recognition from our heavenly father and we humble ourselves knowing we're not alone in our sin and sharing our humanity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the antidote for approval addiction. As the band plays, uh, Allow God to search your heart and show you areas he may be asking you to make some, some, some shifts, some changes. What are some things that you are making public that God may be asking you to keep private? Are you seeking approval from others for things that you should be doing as an intimate devotion, devotional act to your Heavenly Father? What are you keeping secret that God may be asking you to share in community? Is there anything you're uh, actively working to hide from those you're close to? Or is there a part of yourself that you're nervous to open up about? Uh, if you have not known 
that fourth quadrant, if you haven't uh, experienced that being fully loved and fully accepted by God, uh, there's an invitation today for you to experience that uh, love today. Uh, if you feel open to that and want to respond to that invitation for the first time today, Nick and I would love to talk to you after service. Uh, but my hope for us today is that we would find fulfillment in reversing the impulse to make the good things we've done uh, to uh, to make those things known and to keep the deepest parts of ourselves secret. That we would find our reward in doing good deeds for an audience of one uh, and discover community in that mutual confession with those around us. So let's pray and then the band uh, will sing and I just want you to reflect on um, maybe some things that, that God's asking you to, to, to change. And during the season of Lent, I know it's not... Uh, in our tradition, we don't typically give things up, but um, this might be a good season to practice uh, secrecy. Maybe it's a season uh, where God's asking you to give up social media for 40 days. I don't know, that's crazy, but uh, it, you know, think about those things as we uh, pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for your love for us that you see the deepest parts of us and you know them and you love us. Lord, I pray that you would show us areas that we um, maybe have been trying to make ourselves look good uh, and make ourselves look like uh, we have it more together than we maybe even do. Uh, help us to know what things we should be doing solely for your approval and solely for uh, the reward that we uh, receive from you, Heavenly Father. Lord, if any of us are not living in community, I pray that you would help us to know um, how to remedy that, how to make moves so that we can experience uh, that true community in mutual confession with our brothers and sisters, Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray that we would uh, open up our hearts today uh, to hear from you as you speak to us. We love you, Lord.